This is Conversations with the Lincolnite. Hello and welcome back to the Lincolnites podcast. We're thrilled to be joined today by a much-loved comedian, actor and writer. He was born in Lincolnshire and emerged as not only one of the country's finest comic minds, but also a celebrated author too. You may know him from hit TV programmes like Peep Show and the Mitchell and Webb Look. It's of course Robert Webb. Robert, welcome and thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you back in Lincolnshire. Hello, thank you for having me. Indeed, Lincolnshire and the county holds much uh, history for you, um, from your childhood down the road in Woodall Spa and Coningsby to um, collecting your honorary degree here in Lincoln last year. How does it feel now when you roll back into Lincolnshire through the, the green fields? <laughs> well, I've been coming back and forth for, oh, now then, how old am I? Yes, about 26 years. I, I, you know, I was here for the first 20 years of my very irritatingly long now life. Uh, and I've been sort of coming back uh, ever since, really. So it's it's very familiar. I mean, to be honest, I didn't spend that much time. The thing about Lincolnshire is it's quite big, um, and <laughs> uh, and I only really know my bits. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Coningsby and Woodall and and Horncastle. So or Horncastle, as I used to pronounce it. Mm. So I, I never knew Lincoln that well. It was just a it was a place where you came for a treat when you're grandparents had a day off and they were going to take right, you to okay. the Burnie Inns. Uh, Burnie Inns, Where, whereabouts is that in Lincoln? Burnie Inns, uh, I don't think it exists anymore, no, but it was a chain of um, steakhouses. Particularly um, in your book, How Not To Be A Boy, which um, I wish we had an entire podcast <laughs> to talk about um, specifically. You revealed much about your life in, I suppose, um, working class Lincolnshire yeah. would be how you would describe it. Um, it seemed to surprise a few too. Um, did you know that people sort of often think of you as posh? I'm delighted because I, you know, I went to enormous trouble to <laughs> to give them that impression. I, I mean, my accent was sort of halfway down the A1 by the time I was 15. Really? I don't, I don't know why. Just decided to just, ditch the Lincolnshire. Yeah, it, it just I just didn't like the sound of my own voice. It's probably you know it reveals terrible things about my character. But um, there we are. I think it was partly to do with comedy as well because I was watching people like Rick Mail and Stephen Fry on, on TV and I just I think I just wanted to sound like just them. those sort of role models I yeah, I, yeah yeah I, it's a it's a peculiar thing but I mm. I uh, yeah I don't mind being mistaken for a middle-class person because that's you know I mean mm-hmm. of course you can be middle-class and uh, and live in Lincolnshire yeah. and, and and say castle instead of castle let's make that very clear <laughs> but um yeah I grew up in a house where we we read the Daily Mirror and we drove second-hand cars and we, no one had been to university and everyone had a job but no one had a career it was that kind of thing mm. and, um, mm. and we watched Blind Date and Only Fools and Horses and it was a very normal uh, upbringing but mm. you know these mm. days uh, having been to a posh university and, and you know reading The Guardian I can't go around claiming to be uh, a, a, a horny-handed son of the soil anymore. <laughs> sure it was quite a progression wasn't it and uh, <laughs> I suppose uh, well you went to study at um, Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Horncastle yep. didn't you and then and then went on to Cambridge all stepping stones to a fantastic career. Was it quite unusual for sort of a, a young man in your circles to go to university then? It not at that school. Uh, it was a uh, Quags is a good school, and uh, at the time it's much bigger now. But at the time, that sixth form had about I don't know eighty kids in it, and they would regularly send uh, four or five uh, people to Oxford or Cambridge, and then a, a hefty percentage to other universities. However, you want to judge these things, but um, uh, so it wasn't unusual at that school to go to university at all. Mm. Um, but there again, in in terms of my family and their friends it you know not there weren't many graduates knocking around in mm. that in that sort of mm. social circle if you like mm. um so uh, going going to cambridge was no weirder than wanting to have a 
a career in comedy. They, they were both pretty outlandish ideas. Is that something you always wanted to do, go into comedy? Or? Yeah, since yeah. I, I mean, freakishly early, when I was about, about 13, uh, I was in a sort of school play uh, mm. thing where uh, it was a little comedy thing and, um, and I got some laughs and I enjoyed that feeling. And I'd always been sort of, um, false modesty aside, I'd always been funny. And I, you know, I'd uh, I'd do impressions of teachers and, and change the words to pop songs and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but when I was thirteen, I uh, uh, that was the first time I was doing it in front of complete strangers, mm. and uh, that was even better. And so, yeah, I I remember watching, starting to watch sitcoms and sketch shows, and leaning in quite closely and thinking, are they really doing anything I couldn't do? They're mm. making it look very easy. Is that mm. because it's easy, or is that because they work very hard to make it look easy? And, mm. Um, so, did you find it easy, or did you kind of work up to it? Did you? Sort I found of, it. You I did a lot of mimicking, by the I sounds of it. Found the difficulty of it enjoyable, which I suppose is one definition of finding something easy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and did so, you have a lot of support for for those pursuits? Uh, at school, I had a brilliant uh, English and form teacher called Heather Slater, uh, who is still with us and is the goddaughter, uh, godmother to one of my children. We're still very good friends, uh, and she was extremely encouraging. Uh, and she made all the difference in terms of me putting on my own. I put on these sort of end of term lunchtime reviews, basically stage sketch shows, and uh, and learnt a lot doing that. Um, but in terms of you know from my friends and family, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't an announce it suddenly that that's what I wanted to do because I, I didn't think anybody would take that remotely seriously. So okay. you, you go through a series of cover stories about, you know, when you get that question, what are you going to do when you grow up, Robert? Mm. Um, it went from, oh, journalist, English teacher, something in computers. I mean, you know. Is that because that was the sort of social expectation, do you think, or? It was, it was just me desperately trying to find anything that sounded vaguely plausible without having to go through, you know, watching the, the look on people's faces just sink <laughs> and, oh. and have them say, well, bit of a long shot, Robert, a little bit of a long shot. Uh, which I think that might resonate with quite a few people who are looking to go into a creative career. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah. A, it, it depends what you want from it. I mean, if you, if you want to uh, have uh, a level of success the way, the, the way that these things are judged, i.e. fame, if you like, then it is a long shot. I mean, that won't be most people's story. You need a lot of luck. And I had one lucky break after another. Um, but uh, but in terms of you know if you if that's what you want to do acting writing whatever it is for your own satisfaction to give your working life meaning that you that you find value in that uh, in itself then obviously go for it. Going back to the book, it gained a huge fan base and centred um, specifically around the themes of masculinity and um, the conditioning of, of boys and men. Mm. Um, of course, you draw on your own experiences of your sort of disciplinarian father as well. Has it had the reaction that you expected? I don't know what I expected. I mean, I you know there was a there was a point when you know while I was writing it where I thought, okay, when this comes out, I maybe I'm going to get four or five supportive emails from my friends, and then we'll just pretend it didn't happen. <laughs> um, but by the time it had been sent out, and the way people were starting to respond to it, and then you know, the the Guardian want to serialise it, and Radio Four want to make it book of the week, and and at that point you go. Oh, okay. Well, mm. this is this is ringing a few bells here and there, mm. and perhaps quite a lot of people are going to want to read this. So I, I was, you know, there was an initial slight uh, backlash when I, you know, I did a couple of interviews, one on Woman's Hour, and one with um, 
uh, Krishna uh, Gurumurthy on, on Channel 4 News, mm -hmm. where, where angry men who were already angry about what they saw as uh, feminism, inverted commas, going too far, became even angrier uh, for a while when they, when they saw one of their uh, tribespeople um, taking the, <laughs> taking the wrong side, uh, and for a while there was a there was a period before the book came out, but while I was doing publicity for it, where the interviews were being reviewed, rather than and I was being reviewed, Gosh. frankly, rather than the book. That comes so, a bit of a shock to you. Or? I I didn't think the book was going to go down very well in those quarters anyway. So no, it wasn't a shock. But I did succeed in making some angry men even angrier for a while. I think they've they've gone back to their sort of default livid now. Um, but when the book actually came out and people were reading the book and talking about the book itself, that was a whole different story. Gosh, yeah. Um, as a creative person, um, as you say, you were told sort of boys should be into sports and be brave and bottle up their feelings. Um, how important is it to create an environment where preconceptions about gender are completely broken down? I think, it, I think it's very important. I think, you know, people should just be free to express themselves in, in, whatever, in whatever way gives them meaning. I mean, um, you know, I've got, nothing, I've got nothing against sport or football or, you know, and all the things that I felt, you know, pressurised uh, into, into doing, the, the, the performance of my sex or otherwise known as gender, the, the meaning that we give to our, uh, to our sex. Um, but, but the stuff about, um, you know, not talking about your feelings and bottling everything up, I think is terribly important because, you know, when my mother died when I was 17, Suddenly I had, you know, lots of people kindly saying, look, if you need to talk, then just mm -hmm. talk. I'm here if you want to talk. And if you don't talk, then do talk. I mean, mm -hmm. talk. And suddenly I'm like, where do, well, that, that's very kind of you, but where did this come from? Because, you know, nobody's been encouraging me to talk about my feelings before. So how do you do that? And what is that? And how does it help? And it doesn't change the facts, does it? Mm -hmm. And of course, no, it doesn't change the facts, but it allows you to make peace with the facts or coexist with the facts and it's very important and I didn't do that and I you know for about three years uh, until I just became very mentally unwell by the time I was at university and managed to see a counsellor about that and that really helped but um, I was having suicidal thoughts it was just it was just a really bad situation to be in and that was that was partly I believe because of the the expectations of masculinity about how you're just supposed to bottle it up, switch it off like a light switch and uh, and not and just move on. Um, doesn't work. I suppose it's is it that sort of, you know, man up, you know, you're not supposed yeah. to yeah, there's yeah. all the sorts of things that you hear as a child and then when something traumatic does yeah. happen it's it's Yeah, no one I mean when something bad happens no one tells you to man up then. But you've been told to man up about trivial things all all the way along. If you fall off your bike, there's no point crying about it. Even the, people telling you how to feel, which is ridiculous because you know you don't have any choice about how to feel. We don't choose emotions. Um, but you can choose how to deal with them. You can choose whether to talk about them or not and choose to, you know, how to identify them. Am I angry about this or am I angry because I'm actually feeling some other unwanted emotion like shame or fear or grief? Was it that um, overwhelming sort of, uh, sort of probably wave of emotions at that point in time? You're 17, you think? You yeah. Said, um, was that sort of a trigger for you? Was that when you really started thinking about why can't you know I, I regulate my feelings? What, what's what's happening here? Is that when it started? No, it, it all it all no not when you're right in the middle of it. Mm. Um, this is all sort of how I've come to retrospectively kind of think about what what happened. Uh, it wasn't really until I'm, I was in my 40s really that, that I. That I really started to give it some 
some thought. Mm -hmm. uh, and my wife Abby is quite a big influence in that in that regard. Anyway, because mm -hmm. she's really good at this uh, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's affected how you behave as a parent? Um, uh, which what? Uh, sort of your 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 views and your sort of insight now and your, and your sort of theories on you know how how to um, yeah know. I mean we certainly don't tell the girls um, you know I mean this will sound very uh, poncy but you know it's a question of validating their feelings and so you know if someone's really upset about something that is clearly trivial like you know the order in which they're going to eat something or or you know what's happened to a toy um, there's no point telling them this is not important because it's clearly very important to them. But of course, you know, as a parent, it's your job to not always be friends with them, but certainly to look after them. And maybe you're teaching them, you know, to get these things in, into perspective. But there's a balance between that and just telling them that they're wrong to feel certain things. Yeah. And then when it, when it comes to stereotypes, we haven't banned the color pink for goodness sake. And if they wanted to wear a pretty dress for a party or play with a dolly, then of course they can. Yeah. But we've also made sure, we've tried to make sure that there are other options available, you know, they both do karate, they both like building stuff with Lego, um, they both wear trousers and jeans as often as they wear dresses, they, you know, it's, I, I think it's kind of easier actually to present those options to girls than it is to boys really, because a, a non-gender conforming girl, or what used to be called a tomboy, she, you know, it's a, it's going to be a drag for them to be described like that, but there we are. Uh, whereas a, a gentle boy, or a, or a, "Quote unquote effeminate boy," um, there's just no upside to that. That's that is that is more shaming um, for them for non-gender conforming boys. And so, you know, the the, the answer uh, is is to broaden out those those definitions so that you know people can just rock and roll. Mm. Do you think things are changing? It's difficult to measure, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I I'm afraid. I mean, there are a couple of teachers in Abby's side of the family, and I'm afraid to say school ground homophobia is is alive and well mm. um, you can get the feeling that oh yes that was all the 1970s 1980s but um, mm, yeah I you know I try to be an optimist I, th I think you know certain things are moving forward I mean when you get the you know the uh, uh, Prince William and Prince Harry talking about this kind of stuff that, I mean that's new isn't it for yeah. the member of that family <laughs> going on about this. Yeah. Uh, I think it certainly makes a difference when high-profile people like yourself uh, speak about it as well. Well, I, yeah, I thought I was well-placed to make this kind of contribution. Yeah. Another strong theme that I believe sort of emerged from your writing and indeed from your speech at the University of Lincoln graduation ceremony last year um, was one of the importance of kindness. Mm. And that was that was really sort of refreshing to hear and, and kindness as the ultimate strength. I, think it's so, I just think it's so important. Is that I, something, I, I think, did you always sort of put kindness as a no, yeah, priority? No, no, I didn't. I, in fact, it, when, I, when I write about uh, what I was like as a student, um, you know, and all the things I wanted to present myself as, um, witty and sexy and urbane and mysterious and charismatic and, um, you know, ambiguous and, you know, all of this stuff, uh, when it, you know, kind <laughs> should have been number one uh, thing to want to be, thing to want to do and thing to want people to, to believe of you. Uh, but I mean, you know, it comes naturally to some people, but to, to the rest of us, myself included, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. You go around pretending to be kind, but sooner or later you might end up being mistaken for a kind person because you keep <laughs> doing kind things. So it's, you know, you have to put the effort in really. But yes, I think it's incredibly important. I, I was saying in that speech that, uh, that you know, now that, 
you know, there were lots of uh, graduates, graduands, people who were about to graduate uh, in the audience. And I said, now that you're saying goodbye, most of you, uh, to your last teachers, let's think about those first teachers and what we learned from them, those mm -hmm. um, primary school teachers who, who would say things like, you know, uh, how would it feel if you, how would it feel if someone did that to you and play nicely? And they were teaching us to put kindness and empathy at the centre of our lives and I can't really improve on that. Mm. Wouldn't the world be a far better place if that were everyone's priority? I think so. You also told graduates that they should measure success on their own terms. Um, seems an apt message given the pressures I think of today. Um, how do you measure your success? Ooh, um, I get to do a job that I like. Um, not everyone gets that so I feel extremely uh, privileged uh, in that regard. Uh, I I'm trying to, uh, I'm not very successful at looking after my health and I think I, I, I could improve, I could improve there. Um, personal relationships, you know, spending time with your, uh, your partner and your children is, is, a, is a way of measuring success. I mean, to be honest, these wouldn't have been my priorities if you'd asked me these questions 15, 20 years ago because really? I was desperate, desperate, desperate to get on with my really? career. But you, you reach a certain point if you've had a, a, a ludicrous uh, amount of luck that you can kind of take your foot off that gas a little bit mm. uh, and, and prioritise um, the more important things in life. You're here at the University of Lincoln today to deliver a lecture titled Lessons from a Creative Career. And what an amazing career you've had. What is the hardest lesson that you've learnt? The hardest lesson? Um, ooh. Uh, I mean, it, it's here, I mean, it's a sort of uh, question and answer session. Um, and it's part of the uh, university's um, uh, Festival of Creativity. Indeed, so yeah. this is one of like 40 events mm -hmm. and um, about half the audience will be uh, Lincoln students who are doing creative arts subjects and, and, and everyone else will be, you know, normal people. Um, what's the hardest lesson? I don't, ooh. I, I don't know. Do I get to play a joker and, and, and say pass on one of these questions? Sure, you, you, you okay. can do what you like. I, I, <laughs> I don't know the, I don't know what the hardest, I mean the, the what's most, the most important lesson? The most important thing like? is to be nice. Is to, <laughs> is to uh, you know that you've you at the beginning of your career especially when you've got the least control over mm. who you work with mm. you will meet people who seem to be in the wrong job who promise mm. things that they can't deliver and who are impunctual or arrogant or rude or uh, rubbish and just don't be one of those guys were you, because were you nice? I, I tried to be nice yeah, yeah because you, because you you know if you've got two people who are equally good at the job but one of them is a real pain in the neck to work with you they've blown it you know you're not going to want to work with them again so mm. it, 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 it quite apart from the moral side of it it just makes sense to be a, a pleasure to work with and to be flexible and creative and and nice to people and turn up on time and know what you're doing and you know it's 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 a very banal sounding uh, piece of advice it's also quite tough to f follow sometimes you know but just try and be nice to people what challenges will those pursuing a career in um, creativity expect to face um, well, I mean, specific, the specifics of it have probably changed a bit, uh, you know, since I was starting out, but, um, but I suppose some things don't change. I mean, you can expect knockbacks, you can expect 
um, disappointments and, and uh, to be working with people who don't necessarily uh, appreciate your God-given genius. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you just have to kind of roll with that. You're mm -hmm. also going to feel that uh, maybe I'm kidding myself, maybe I don't deserve this, maybe I'm a complete imposter, everybody else knows what they're doing, I don't know what I'm doing. The only thing to say about that is that's how everyone feels, mm. particularly in the creative uh, realms. But I think that's how everyone feels uh, with most jobs. At, at some point you're going to get found out. But it's particularly true of actors. I don't know a single actor who who thinks they know, <laughs> who thinks that they... And do you still they, feel like that today? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you know, I can... I, every now and again, if I'm, uh, you know, on the internet and somebody posts a sketch or a scene from Peep Show and I have a quick look at it, because why not? Mm. Um, I think, oh, actually... I do, yeah, that was, that was quite good, actually. I, I do, am actually, actually really actually, funny and I know what I'm doing. I do seem to know what I'm doing. But then when I'm doing it, when I'm, you know, I'm on the set and do I actually know my lines and <laughs> do I actually know what I'm doing with this character? And, you know, you, you have to just, you know, style it out and, and pretend. Um, but it's all pretending. Yeah, it's all acting at the end of the day, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's an actor. Exactly. Um, What's next for you then, um, career-wise? I'm uh, just at the end of the first draft of my second book, oh, which fun. is a novel. Uh, it's my first novel, and it's a time-travelling, grief-stricken rom-com called wow. Come Again. And it'll be out uh, this time next year. Gosh, can you tell us a bit more about like what happens in the book? Uh, Kate is our heroine and okay. she's, uh, she's about 45 years old and she's a widow sadly and her husband died uh, about nine months ago and she's not getting better, she's mm. in terrible trouble and they met very early on, they've been together 28 years, they met uh, on the first night of Freshers Week when they're at university. Mm. One day Kate wakes up, it's the first night of university, she's 18 years old, she remembers everything, this was the night she met her dead husband for the first time, what do you do? <laughs> oh, watch this space. That sounds really exciting. And Ooh. what about um, acting stuff as well? Any more Peep Show series? Uh, no, Peep Show is no more. <laughs> um, but uh, the second series are back. Uh, that I did with David uh, last year. That was my next question. As a few people have said to me, you've got to ask for yeah. if Back's coming back. Back <laughs> is coming back. Uh, and we'll be shooting it in uh, October, November this year. They might put it out this year towards Christmas, or it might be next year. But um, I'm already irritating people in the publicity department at Channel 4 by, <laughs> yeah. by telling you that much. Going, what? <laughs> I bet. They're like, wait, I haven't got a job anymore. I'm going <laughs> to just go around just telling everyone. Oh, but there'll be loads of people really excited about that. So that's, cool. that's fantastic. Um, and coming back to Peep Show, I understand an American remake is in the pipeline. Um, Again. With the pair of losers played by females. Yeah. Um, are you excited by the idea of an American adaptation? I'd particularly the to, sort of gender swap? I'd love to. I mean, uh, Dave and I didn't write Peep Show, so there's no money in it. Of course. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but I'd love to, as a fan of the show, I'd love to see what they do with it. Yeah. There have been two attempts before, yeah. uh, not with not with female characters, but 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 just Americans having a go, hmm. uh, and neither were successful. So you know, maybe it's third time lucky. But um, yeah, I, I think a, a female, uh, you know, two girls being the one who worries too much and the one who doesn't worry enough. I mean, you know, that could be a female double act just, just as easily, of Absolutely. course, as a, as two blokes. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I wish them all the best of luck. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you. And good luck for the lecture uh, today, so the Q&A um, at the University of Lincoln. As you mentioned, it's the Festival of Creativity here at the University of Lincoln. You can search online for more details and highlights. Thank you very much for listening.